Father, I thank you again for speaking through the Son, the final word. We have our questions answered about your nature and your compassion and your empathy and your mission through the Son. So I ask tonight as we look at another chapter, I pray that we'd have a better grasp on the nature and mission of the King and God that we serve. So would you speak, may we hear well, and may we not be forgetful hearers, but may we be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, who heard and did. So help us in that. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, we looked at chapter 9 last week. Jesus in that chapter is inviting in, and it's a very broad invitation. It includes people like tax collectors and sinners, and he goes and feasts with them. And there's pushback from the scribes, the Bible scholars, the Pharisees, they were the traditionalists, and then John the Baptist's disciples, they were the serious people. Get out there and do something with your faith. Each of them pushed back at Jesus. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? It's too broad. In chapter 10, he narrows because he has a mission. So I'll read it for you. It's verse 37 of chapter 9. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Chapter 10 is that launch into the mission field. There's this awesome thing happening. Jesus is stirring up people, and now he grabs some people and he launches them. He gives them a taste of what it looks like. It's like a short-term missions trip. Live it now. Apply it. Do what I've been doing launch. This chapter reminded me of where we've been at because we kind of had this preparation time like the first nine chapters, and then we launched something back on April 24th. We called it, you know, our at-risk families, and we're using Safe Families. You may not know this, but Safe Families is a major national organization. They have they're probably in hundreds, thousand cities or so across the United States. Every major city has a safe family. Um, our launch on April 24th was the biggest launch in their history. They've never had that many sign up in one day. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So we have like, it's closing on like 200 people saying, hey, I want to be involved in at-risk families in Grants Pass. Um, with that said, uh, the infrastructure for Safe Families in Grants Pass is starting up with us. So it's the biggest launch they've ever had, and they're really a brand new startup in Grants Pass. So we, we're having to give them a bit of grace because they're processing a ton of paperwork, and they're trying to put in some uh, systems right now to handle the number of people. They don't have that. In, just to give you an example, in Medford, they have seven host families. Just Edgewater alone, we have 31 host families. So all of Medford, seven, just us, 31, plus all the resource families around those. So it's just a, 
It's a massive thing for them. So they're trying to spin their uh, gears up as quick as possible. So we're going to give them a lot of grace and try to help them through this. So if you're saying, hey, why aren't we doing more? Well, we're, we're, we're trying to. But it really kind of shocked them in the best way possible. So we had this great launch. Um, it's awesome. You guys responded wonderfully. And I just think there's something happening in Grant's Pass. That's what it was. It was something happened and we responded. So I, I'm really excited about what God's going to do in Grant's Pass in this next season. So totally excited about that launch. So Jesus has a launch. We learned some really good things as you think about launching out into ministry. You get some awesome kind of guidelines on what that's supposed to look like, all right? So verses one through four is the launch. Here's what happens. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over clean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. The power Jesus has, he now bestows upon these 12 guys. Really broad in chapter 9, he narrows down to 12 serious disciples. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, right? So Jesus tasks these 12 and is going to give them now a taste of ministry. But right off the get-go, when you read these names, if you're an ancient person reading this 2,000 years ago, you would have read this and just say, oh no, there's trouble. There's trouble in this list. In fact, the troubled people are highlighted. It's like each one has a little bit of uh, uh, an adjective to explain them almost. Like, hey, trouble, trouble. So who are the troubled people? First is Matthew, right? We looked at him last week. He's a tax collector. What does that mean? He's ISIS. He's an American that went ISIS and is fighting us. So Rome knew this. If you want to collect good money, you get someone who is in the country, a national, to betray his country and take money from them. All right? So that's Matthew. He's a betrayer. He's a, um, he, he is someone, he's a scallywag. No one likes him. Right? That's Matthew. Then right, right after you have Simon the Zealot. You know what Simon the Zealot is? Radical Tea Party. Take back America, right? That, that's who it is. It's guns, ammunition, let's throw off the Romans. The more Romans we kill, the better, right? Anyone who's on Rome's side should die. So he is, hey, they've been stealing our money from us, stealing our money from our kids. We got to get it back. He is Robin Hood without the tights, All right? So who's not going to get along? Like those two right there, they're not going to get along. And I bet you anything, Jesus is like, you two are sharing a tent. Good luck with that, right? They're both outsiders. They're, they're on the outside of the norm. It would be a, an, uh, like a diehard Trump supporter and a diehard Bernie Sanders supporter coming together in the same tent. Man, you, you, there's just going to be a fight, right? It's like right off the bat, Jesus is saying, in ministry, there's going to be people that do things way different than you. And you better get used to it, right? Here's what I love. Both of those people way out here, they're both drawn to Jesus. 
This guy way over on this side, way over on the right, drawn to Jesus. This guy way over here on the left, drawn to Jesus. Both of them are being drawn to Jesus. And then you have another guy in here who gets a little bit more information. His name is Judas Iscariot. And then Matthew adds on, the one who betrayed him. Iscariot in the Hebrew means this, the man of Kerioth, which was a region in Judah. He is the only non-Galilean. Galilee was the northern kind of part. It would be the Ozarks of Israel, uneducated, uh, outcast. Galilee is where Jerusalem was, or excuse me, Judah is where Jerusalem is. So that's the educated, that's the New York City cosmopolitan. So Judas, he's an insider. He's the right crowd, right? He comes from the educated place. He's New York City. He knows the system, right? So when you read this list, you say, man, these guys are way on the outside, and you've got Judas on the inside. And we all have these kind of rules in life, don't we, about who we think is on the outside and then who we think should be on the inside. We all have them. We had them in middle school, right? You wear brown rustlers, you're on the outside. You wear the right clothes, you're on the inside. We keep doing that. We all have that. If you have a certain kind of job, you're on the inside, right? You're a teacher, hey, that's a good, respectable job, inside. You're an electrician, good, respectable job, you're on the inside. You're a plumber, Keep your pants up, wear a belt, you're on the inside, right? Used car salesman, mm. IRS, no, you're on the outside. So we all have this kind of stuff. Every culture does. Israel was absolutely dominated by it because they had these rules. We call them the ceremonial laws, bunch of rules that said, here's how you get on the inside. It governed what food you ate. If you ate the right food, you're on the inside. It was called kosher food. It governed how you talked. Never take Yahweh's name in vain. Someone that took Yahweh's name in vain would automatically be, you're on the outside, you're outside, you're no longer an insider, right? They had a phylactery where they would bind God's word on their hand and on their head. So if you had that, man, you're on the inside. Clothing, they were told, don't wear mixed clothing. So if you wore a polyester blend outside, you wear 100% cotton inside, right? Blue ribbon on the bottom, inside. So they had all these ways for now a thousand plus years, 1,500 years of identifying who was in and who was out. We do the same thing, I think, in church, right? Oh, that person smokes. Hmm. That person drinks. Hmm. That person has those kind of clothing. Hmm. You ever had the conversation about someone's salvation? Hey, is that guy saved? Ever had that? That's a way of us determining who's on the inside and who's on the outside. He does a lot of good things, so maybe he's saved. I saw him, had a, he had a beer with his pizza. Maybe he's not saved. He's in church all the time, so maybe he's saved. But he drives a Maserati. There's no way he's saved, right? We just kind of go back and forth, like, you know, inside, outside, inside, outside. Jesus, in this selection, is blowing apart their boundaries and their parameters of who is in and who is out. And really what you're going to see from the gospel forward is this. It's not about kind of this thing that determines who's in or who's out. It's all about movement. Are you moving toward Jesus 
or are you moving away from Jesus? Is the gospel drawing you in or is it driving you out? It's going to do one of the other, and that's what matters. It's movement, okay? So here's how I would explain it to you. Religion is like a horse corral. You put horses in a corral, you know, these are my horses, and it's to keep them inside and keep the bad things out, right? And you can quickly identify your horses. They're the ones inside my corral. So it's got rigid kind of boundaries. You're in or you're out. Very, very definite. That's religion, all right? The gospel is much more like a watering hole in the Serengeti. If you've ever seen really good documentaries when there's a bad, bad like famine out there, what happens to the one watering hole? It draws every animal. So I have pictures of lions drinking water 10 feet away from a zebra. They all know, I got to get to that. So it's the drawing into this spot, this location that matters. To me, that's Jesus. And it brings lions and zebras, everything together because they're drawn by Jesus. Not a rigid structure that you got to fit inside this thing, but movement and desire saying, I've got to have that. I've got to have the water of life. I've got to be right next to that. So religion is very exclusive, in and out, box will decide. Jesus is saying, look at who I chose. I even chose a betrayer because it's not about that in my kingdom. It's about your movement. And we'll see this about Judas. Judas tries to get closest to Jesus at the table. He tries to get snuggle up to Jesus, and yet he's the one that's moving farther and farther away in his heart. Matthew is Isis. He's outside. And yet the moment Jesus says, follow me, what does he do? He gets up, and his movement is toward Jesus. What really matters is not what you did yesterday or who you were last week. What really matters is today... Are you moving toward Jesus? Are you leaving everything and following him? Or are you starting to fall away from him? Because that's all that matters. In this thing, it's not about a corral identifying. It's about movement of your heart and desiring to be close to Jesus. That's what matters. So Jesus right away begins to just tear down the normal structures that we'd expect for religion, saying that's not what it's about. I'm the watering hole, and I draw all lions and tigers and bears to the same place. It's beautiful. So that's the launch, very unexpected. And then he goes this. He sends them out, and this is how. These 12, verse 5, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim... As you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive, you receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, 
shake the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Jesus now chooses his 12, launches them, and he gives some instructions. I have one word that for me defines these 10 verses, and it's trust. Jesus, on this short-term mission, has a mission for them. I want you to do something there, but part of the mission is what he's going to do inside of his disciples. I want you guys to trust me. I want you to build this into you so he gives real detailed instructions about what they're supposed to do. So this is what he says. Number one, he tells them who to talk to. Notice it's verse six. Don't go to the Gentiles. That's coming later. Go to the house of Israel. Israel. Now, why is that? I think it's because we are always supposed to start sharing our faith with those we're closest with. These are covenant people. These are people that know your system, know your rules, know your tradition, you're familiar with. You start with them. You're in relationship with them. If you can remember back when you first got saved or when you really engaged with Jesus, who are the people that you want to share with? Was it Africa where you eat bugs and stuff? Or was it your best friend or your brother or your parents? It's immediately those that you're close to. So Jesus is hitting on that. Man, you guys have found Treasure Island. Go share it with those that you're close with. To me, that's where mission always starts. If I can't share mission with my own brother or my own neighbor, don't expect to send me to Africa. It starts at home. Who? Home. Number two, what? What were they supposed to do? Verse seven, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is something invading our land. It's right here. It's a new kingdom. I've experienced it. It's here. They are number two, to proclaim. Have you heard the saying? It's accredited to uh, St. Francis, and it's preach always, and when necessary, use words. Who's heard that? Is that right? You're saying, after Sunday, I'm not answering any of your questions. <laughs> I'll never answer a question again. I don't think so, because Romans 10 says this, how shall they believe unless somebody preach? And how shall they preach? unless somebody sends them. That's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. I'm sending you to proclaim a message. We've got this kind of goofy thing that somehow if we just live our lives right, that that is proclaiming the gospel. Now that's important, and we'll see that in a minute, but you also gotta say. Like I have never had somebody, like a neighbor say, bro, I watched you mow your lawn. You did not cuss one time. Please tell me how I can be justified and have my sins cleansed by the atoning work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Please tell me that. I've never had that, right? So we're kind of goofy that way. So we got to proclaim a message. There is good news. And part of it is telling people there's good news. So Jesus, start at your home. Two, tell them the good news. Number three, here's how you're going to do it. Heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse lepers, 
cast out demons and do it for free. So it's word followed by works. Man, Matt, these are huge miracles. It's not happening where I'm at. I think if you look through the Bible, yeah, there are miracles. I still believe miracles are possible. But the normative thing, what you see more and more is Jesus is asking his disciples to do things. Paul begins to ask them, hey, if you've got two cloaks, give one away. The church at Jerusalem was in a famine, so guess what? The church at Macedonia, they didn't pray. Hey, help them down there. Guess what they did? Hey, I got some extra change. I'll throw it in a bucket. Let's send it down there. Paul's freezing in his jail cell. He doesn't, I'm sure he prayed, but he also sent a letter to Timothy saying, can you please bring me a coat? And he brought him a coat. So just as important as praying for miracles is also saying, can I be the miracle? I believe that's what Jesus says when he says, ask, seek, knock. Ask, pray, no doubt, and then say, what can I do? Can I be the answer to this? Can I do this? And miracles happen. I think we've seen miracles happen here. Very normal. So when I went, took my second to last trip to India, we went to this, the worst village I've ever been to. I've been to a lot of places in the world. There was nothing as depressed and, and terrible as this place. A, a young mom was dying from, from just from diarrhea, essentially, because they got their water from a mud hole two miles away. And it was disgusting. And uh, I talked to Billy Graham and said, can we drill a well up there? Edgewater would love to drill a well up there. He said, well, they can't get a well drilling rig up there. I said, just, just look into it. He found this monster truck, like literally a monster truck that hooked a chain onto the drilling well equipment and drug it up the side of this mountain, and they drilled a well up there. We paid for it, put a pump on it, transformed this, just the desert up there into this blooming Eden. The captain or the, the, the chief of this area for the government, it was like the projects. It was these tribal people that they'd brought down and just put them in these projects on the side of a mountain, miserable, just miserable. He came there like six months later when they've got gardens and there's this lush thing and everything's changed. He's like, what happened here? Well, how'd you get a well here? We, we, didn't, we thought it was impossible to drill a well up here. And they said, talk to this guy, Billy Graham. So he calls Billy Graham. Billy Graham explains the whole situation to him. This guy replied by saying, if you guys keep doing this stuff, all of India will be saved. That's a miracle. We keep doing that stuff. So it's good words, no doubt, but it's also good works. We follow it up by how we live. And then Jesus gives this almost cryptic thing. He says, hey, go to a house, stay there. Don't be hopping around trying to find a better home. Stay there. Let your peace rest there. But if your peace does not, they won't listen to you. Shake the dust from your feet and leave that house. Have you ever been visited by the Jehovah's Witnesses? I have. So there was a, there was a time when it seemed, it seemed like about every six months on Saturday, they'd drive to my house. And they're pretty recognizable because they wear a certain outfit. So I'd hide. I mean, I just was like, I'm not doing this today. So I was hiding. Well, two years ago, I'm like digging and they show up. So I'm like trying to hide behind the shovel. I'm skinny, but not that skinny. Like, no, you see me. And the guy got out. It was so classy. He goes, hello, friend. I said, well, we'll see about that, won't we? And so we got in this conversation. It was an hour-long conversation. That's why I'd been avoiding it. It was an hour-long conversation. And at the end of it, he just looked at me and said, we don't meet people like you. 
Because here's what they did. They went to, I said, well, you know, fundamentally, here's where I'm at. I believe Jesus is God, 100% man, 100% God. So they turned to their New World Translation, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And I said, oh, that's fascinating. I said, my Bible doesn't have the A in there. So I showed them in my Bible. And they said, yeah, but we're, we're, this is what it's supposed to be. I said, you know what's interesting? That if you look at versions of the Bible, and there's a bunch of them, isn't there? And if you look at historical versions of the Bible, and there's a bunch of those too, there's not a single other version of the Bible in existence that have ever added the A before God there. You guys alone, New World Translation alone, you are the only one. So I said, I am absolutely positive because that's such a major change in translation that you guys know why there's an A there. Would you please explain to me why there's an A there? And they just went, we're not sure. I said, let me tell you why there's an A there. And I explained it to them from the Greek, and they said, we don't need people like you. And they've never been back two years now. What happened? They shook the dust off their feet, and they've now marked me in their list, don't visit this house. I'm blacklisted. Is that what Jesus means here? Mm, I don't think so. Here's the end of it. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What Jesus is saying, I believe, is real simple. Trust me with the results. You do what I'm asking you to do. Go to your home, your places, proclaim this good message, do good works, and no matter the outcome, trust me. Just trust me. The presentation of the gospel to me is we just present it and then trust God with the outcome. Not my job to save people. It's just my job to be a messenger. Okay, Lord? I'm going to tell people about this incredible kingdom, treasure island you brought me into, and then I'm going to trust you with the results, good or bad. I'm not going to be worried about it. I'm not going to try to force people. I'm not going to keep pounding it into their heads. I'm just going to trust you. I'll share the gospel, and then I'm going to trust you. So Jesus, in this whole section, don't take a bag. The bag was this. It was religious people kind of like the musicians do with their hat, as they're preaching in the air, they would throw out a certain kind of bag and let everybody know, if you like what I'm saying, throw in a little bit of money. So what Jesus says, don't take that bag. Don't do it that way. Trust me with even your provisions. This is building trust in these people. And you can look at John or Luke chapter 10 where it builds incredible trust in these people. So he launches, his mission to them is trust and then, then he warns them, verse 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Which would you want to be? Group of sheep with a group of wolves. Which would you prefer? Right? Who wins in that? The, the only way the sheep win is if the goal is like cotton mouth or something. Wolves win. This is like ducks versus beavers, right? We know who's going to win. Like, don't even play the game. Just get it over with. It's kind of like that. So Jesus is saying, things are going to be different. Things are going to be different. I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So I'm going to give you some instruction now. Because of that, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be 
beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how to speak or what you're to say, for what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Trust me more. Brother will deliver brother to death and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. This happened in places like the USSR, where it was, hey, you turn people in. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Number three, launches, trust me, and it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle. You took sides, and it's going to be a battle. I have friends in India who have faced this right here. One of them, his name is Moses Palus. We have his book if you want to read it. It's a very, very encouraging and yet exhortative book because it just counts time after time he had the snot kicked out of him for the gospel. It's called Missionary Challenge. We have it. You should read it. You realize this still happens today. In talking to Moses, he said, Matt, my motto, my motto when I preached was this. It's verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee. (laughs) He said, I would preach and flee. That was my motto. (laughs) He said, I'm so glad Jesus didn't say preach and get punched. He said, use your brain. If you're preaching and you see a mob with sticks, flee to the next town. Preach and flee because he knew it. We're so different. Like the worst thing that happens to us is we have our ego hurt. Like they didn't like me. They said something mean about me. Oh my goodness. These guys face it really every single day. The possibility that this will happen to them. So Jesus says, warns them, listen, it's a battle. So he says this, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I put that like this. You got to be tough-minded and tender-hearted. Too many pastors just want to be tender-hearted, but they don't want to really think and be tough-minded. It's both of these things. It's tough-minded and tender-hearted. So Jesus says, look at verse 25. If they have said, what I'm doing is evil, man, they're going to say the exact same thing about you, that what you're doing is evil. You today, in our culture, 2016, if you preach John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by me, 
the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ, if you preach that or post that on Facebook, what's going to happen to you today? Are people going to be like, that's so awesome, man, thank you. No, they're going to say, you are an intolerant bigot. That's where our pureness has to come in. That's where the harmlessness of doves has to come in. That's where that has to come in. Too often we don't have that. Do you guys know who Penn and Teller, that show Penn and Teller, where they expose, like, does anybody know that? Well, the guy Penn is a big-time atheist. Like, his license plate, it, it's, it says this, on dog, backwards it's God no. So he just, he's, he's absolutely, he's not like, oh, you know, I'm not sure. This, he's absolutely certain there is no God. And he's very, um, he's very, provocative about it. He wants to poke, poke at it, all right? Well, he did this video a couple years ago. It fascinated me. And it was, the reason why I watched it was he was given a Gideon Bible. And he said this guy was standing there and kind of watching. They were filming outdoor doing something, like exposing something. And uh, the guy said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And he said the guy was the nicest, kindest man he'd ever met. Like something about him was super kind. He said, can I give you something? And Penn said, yeah. And he gave him a little Gideon New Testament with Psalms. Now, normally, I think he would have been like, I don't want that. But for some reason, he said, thank you. And he took it. And he said, in the video that he's making of this, he said, I took it because that guy was just so kind. So kind. We have to be pure. I've told you about Richard Morgan before. An older gentleman, he was the moderator for Richard Dawkins. You guys know who Richard Dawkins is? Richard Dawkins is the high priest of atheism. He is the man, the God delusion. Every, I mean, he just, if you want to know what atheists believe, you just look at Richard Dawkins. So Richard Dawkins, totally. He's the moderator for his website. So when people are posting on articles or whatever, he's the guy that moderates if somebody gets out of control, whatever. So um, he was following this, this, this line of arguments that was between this kind of group of atheists on one side and this other guy that uh, went by Pastor David. It's a guy named David Robertson. He's a pastor. And, and it, it had gone on for months and months and months, and he's moderating it, kind of watching it, kind of watching it. And his heart is stirred by all this. And, and you, can, you can get his testimony, Richard Morgan, you can Google it. One night, he printed out all the pages of this kind of going, this discussion that had gone back and forth, back and forth for months now. He printed them out, 62 pages. And he read them that night. And he, that night, gave his life to Jesus Christ. Here's why. He said, as I read these, the, 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 the atheist side, and I'm not saying they're always this way, but in this case it was, were so vindictive and mean, and they, picked, they, didn't, they didn't pick on truth, but on his character. And the whole while, Pastor David Robertson was so kind, just never vindictive, never mean-spirited, never attacking the person, never did that. And he said, and his testimony is, when I believe, he said, I was filled with such a warmth that I've never experienced before. We have to. We have to be tender-hearted people. Never forget that. Yeah, wise. Yes, understand the issues. But you know what? We're sheep among wolves. Wolves win if we're talking about fighting it out. Sheep got to win some other way. Sheep got to win a different way. There's a book, and it's really good. It's called American Grace, How Religion Unites Us and Divides Us. And in that book, they say this, quoting, for the most part, 
The evidence we review suggests that religiously observant Americans are more civic and, in some respects, nicer. We have to maintain that. If I am angry when I start sharing the gospel, I just need to shut up. That's just, it's that simple. You know, I'm done here. If I'm angry when I'm sharing the gospel, I need to shut up. I need to act like a sheep, not a wolf. If I'm acting like a wolf, it's time to be quiet. Paul puts it like this. It's Romans 12, 18 through 21. He says, God says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Here's your job, Matt. Your job is, if your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You'll be heaping coals on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. There's our weapon. There's our weapon. Jesus is saying the same exact thing. There's a battle, no doubt about it, but the way you're going to wage this battle is very different. It's with kindness. Then he begins to say, in mission, here's what's going to happen. Verse 26. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. In this mission, I'm launching you into, told you how to do it, Now I'm telling you, there's some good fear and there's some bad fear. The bad fear is, verse 26, so have no fear of them. Who's the them? Back to verse 25, right? It's the people that are saying, you're evil. Don't fear them. There are books now. Christopher Hitchens wrote one. He said, God is not great. How religion poisons everything. You're evil. You guys and your belief, your narrowness is evil. That's going to happen. But don't be afraid of them. Why? For nothing that is covered will not be revealed. There is, you have to understand this, a day of reckoning coming. It's coming. Paul puts it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. He says, some sins are hidden, some sins are plain, but in the end, there'll be justice. That's Matt Heavily paraphrase. Some sins are hidden, right? There are, like people that are greedy, you can't tell that. People that are vindictive, kind of uh, uh, going behind your back almost doing things, can't really tell. Envious, jealous, there's a lot of sins that are hidden. They're hurtful, they're hidden. Other sins are not. You, someone that is addicted to meth, they, they're not hiding that. It's just plain out there. Everyone knows it. But in the end, there is a day of reckoning come. So don't fear them. Don't fear them. Fear number two. Do not fear, verse 28, those who can kill the body. 
don't fear people that can kill you. Don't fear people that are doing this stuff you tell them you're evil, vindictive, jealous, envious, and don't fear people that can kill you. How hard is that? Oh my goodness. That is hard. If someone says, bro, you and your religion poisons everything. I can be like, hey, thanks, man. I was shooting for 75%, but everything is awesome. I'm 100% now. You're going to be like, that stinks. Someone says, you know, I want to kill you for your faith. Hey, go ahead. No problem. These are hard, hard things. So why can we live that way without fear? Jesus gives one answer. Eternity. That's the one answer he gives. And it's verse 31, 32, and 33. Don't be afraid. Why? Because eternity is coming. And if you are faithful to me, I will be faithful to you throughout eternity. When you stand before my Father, I will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. It's eternity. That's the one answer Jesus gives. That's it. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 17. These light afflictions are but for a moment, but they're working for me an eternal weight of glory. The hardest thing I have with that text is what Paul calls light afflictions. Read chapter 11. Beaten with rods three times, shipwrecked over and over, thrown in prison, stoned to death, whipped and beaten. Light afflictions. I get a hangnail. I'm like, man, I'm being attacked by Satan. I can't type my sermon now. Man, this is just a bummer. It's eternity. It's eternity. That's the one answer for not fearing. If we understand eternity, it empowers us to have the right kind of fear and reject the wrong kind of fear. So then Jesus says, in mission, you got to have priority, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. It's not in your Jesus pocket promise book right there. I have, not come, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's got to be a priority in this mission. So when I said yes to charity, what I said in that moment was no to all the rest. Technically, there was no one else. (laughs) I should say she said no to everyone else. It was exclusive. She became the priority. Jesus is saying the same thing. When you say, you're going to follow me, it is an exclusive commitment. And if you don't make it exclusive, here's what's going to happen. You will follow some other God, little g. So when you believe in Jesus, here's what this text is saying, the last couple of verses, it's saying this, or the last couple paragraphs. It's saying, you took a side. You're not Sweden anymore. You took a side. And when you took a side, you all of a sudden stand against the other side. You are now in the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of darkness is coming for you. So from Revelation 19 backwards to Genesis 3, that section, 
the Bible's saying it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And when you say, I'm following Jesus, it's like you put on a jersey and you get off the bench and you get on the field and you can expect there's gonna be some problems. Has anyone in here ever had a family member upset by your faith? Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying right here. It's gonna happen. I had an uncle. Like he came down from central Washington to talk me out of going into the ministry. Dude, you're throwing away your life. Why are you doing this? Ridiculous. What in the world are you doing? Now, if Jesus was not my priority, if my uncle's opinion was my priority, what would I have done? I said, oh yeah, okay, I won't do that then. That's what Jesus says. I have to be the priority. And when I am, I protect you from all these other little G gods that are gonna use you. They're takers, not givers. So I'm protecting you. Make me the priority. We all know that. If Jesus is not your priority, you will make something else. And that something else controls you then. I tell this to spouses. Men can make good husbands, but they make terrible gods. No amens, ladies, because it's the same for you. You make great wives, but terrible, terrible gods. Because then we start living for something that is not able to satisfy us, and we start squeezing you for something you cannot give us, and it drives that marriage into wreckage. So Jesus says, i got to be the priority. And here's the reason why. You can say, well, why should we do all this? Verse 40, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's the reason why. Eternity. So in verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. When you think cross, don't think jewelry or something like that. It'd be like this. Whoever does not join me in the gas chamber is not worthy of me. That's what he's saying there. Modern. Whoever doesn't join me in the gas chamber, forget me. If you're not going to die to your own will and die to yourself and die to your kingship in your own life, if you're not going to die to that, this isn't going to work. I have to be the priority. And when I am, you will be rewarded out of your mind in this life and in the one to come. Because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. I'm the author of life. I know how this thing works. If you will trust me in it, if you'll get the same mission as me, oh, it's going to be brilliant and beautiful. If you don't, brutal, brutal. Do you believe that you will be rewarded, verse 42, in this matter? Because if you do not, then you will not join Jesus in the gas chamber. You won't. I would challenge you, if you struggle with this, read Revelation 21 and 22, because that's what we're headed for. That's the life that God has for us. I believe that's God's 
plan ruined in Eden, redeemed right now, and where we're all headed. That's the plan. And it's beautiful. And it's right. And it's real. And it's coming for those that say, all right, you're the priority. All right, I'm on mission for you. All right, let's go. And it'll be exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. That's where we're headed. So, Father, I thank you for mission. I thank you for the launch of safe families at Edgewater. I thank you, Lord, for the upswell of people who want to be just like these 12 disciples sent out, realizing, yeah, there's ups and downs. There's victories and blows, but it's worth it. It's worth it in this life and in the one to come. I pray for any in here who are maybe struggling right now with taking up their cross, with being a sheep in the midst of wolves, uh, with being tough-minded and tender-hearted, both of those things, Lord. I pray that you would be the one that we yoke with tonight, tomorrow, this week, that we would be being led by you learning of you, resting in you, and that you would, even as you said, be speaking by your Holy Spirit through us, words that are life, words that are beauty, Lord. Forgive me for for being wolf-like and barking out the gospel instead of being sheep-like, kind, tender, empathetic, just like you were. So help us in this, Lord. We know we have a great mission in Grant's Pass. We love our city. We want to see it redeemed. We want to see it as an example to every other city in America of what happens when Christ followers take up the cross, die to their own things, and start living on mission for you. So may that happen in Grant's Pass, Lord. May we see at-risk families resurrected into newness of life, into strength, into power. May we see the kids, Lord, of this school right here, Fruitdale Elementary School, may we see them being raised up in righteousness, knowing Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus who loves them and died for them and has a mission for them and has abundant life for them, Lord. And may these kids be a testimony of your kindness and your goodness to us. And it may lead parents to repentance and sinners to repentance. And may we see revival gripping Grant's Pass in Josephine County. And so, Lord, send us on mission. May we have good words, the gospel. And may we have good works that back it up. May we be like sheep. May we be tough-minded and tender-hearted. May we know that there is a battle, but we willingly join you knowing there's incredible rewards for each one of us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.